Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You, you definitely watch it. Um, I mean, that is the last time we play these guys, you know, in a real game. And so I think there's some merit to it, but uh, it, was, it was a pretty long time ago, too. So you got you to be careful with that. Once you're watching the film, though, I mean, the emotions hit right away. But once you kind of get into it and you're kind of thinking about the game plan, the emotions kind of just fade away a little bit. So there's uh, obviously deep down, it's still there, but you just, just got to move on. It's a different type of motivation. I think... Uh, you know, that motivation comes and goes. Those feelings come and go, and this season is this season now. So it's just a little different. Jimmy Garoppolo talking about the task of having to go back and watch the film of Super Bowl 54, the last time the 49ers and the Chiefs played. They're 7-7 all-time in their series, but the one game that will hover over 49ers Chiefs whenever they play is the fact they got together in the Super Bowl and the 49ers were up 10 with seven minutes left. And... What's the play? Jet 23 Wasp Chip? I'm, I I don't have the words Two in the right order. Jet Chip Wasp. There we go. I knew the words were yeah. the right ones. I just didn't have them yeah. configured the right way. But once that you know, play happens, Mike, can I just, that changes everything. Can I just tell you one? Let, let, let me tell you one quick story about that. So obviously uh, that play comes from... Uh, 45 minutes after the Super Bowl, I had Andy Reid in his office. Uh, maybe it was an hour and 20 minutes. I don't know. But a while after the Super Bowl, Andy Reid drew this rudimentary thing and he and he put the name of it on there, Two Jet Chip Wasp. There was more to it. But what was so amazing is that I wrote about that. And the day after that, it was all over the media. Um, and when I went to Chiefs training camp, the next year, uh, the, you know, that, that, that next year in 2020, or wait a minute, was it 2021 because of COVID? I forget. But the next time I was at Chiefs training camp, I landed at the airport uh, to go in there, and I see a T-shirt with two jet chip wasp 
on the t-shirt with this rudimentary design. And I said, man, I love my contributions to football society. (laughs) But the great thing about that play in that game is that that was it. That was, if they don't make that play, they're going to lose that game. And that's one of the reasons why people will look at Patrick Mahomes and they will say, you know, great player. That will be one of the everlasting plays. Uh, Whenever he gets put into Canton, that will be one of the five plays on his reel. In that moment, in that stadium, or if you were watching it at home, the sense of momentum was overwhelming. The 49ers were going to win the game. That The Chiefs had no answers. And then that play made everybody kind of lean forward and say, here we go. Get your popcorn. This could get interesting. And the next thing you know, the Chiefs win 31-20. to 20. They just blew the 49ers away in those final seven minutes of the game. So they get together at Levi's Stadium. The stakes are high for both teams. They're coming off of losses in week six. The 49ers lost in Atlanta. The Chiefs lost at home to the Bills. Patrick Mahomes is 11-3 and in games following losses all time in his career. That bodes well for the Chiefs. And, you know, Peter, Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. As it relates to how big of a game this is, it's bigger for the Chiefs because they now know what they have to do. they got to catch the Bills to get to where they're trying to be. They want the rematch to happen in Kansas City. They're a game behind plus the tiebreaker. They're basically two games behind the Bills with 11 to play. The 49ers are in a tie with the Seahawks and the Rams for the for the first place in the NFC West. And, you know, the, other than the Eagles, the conference is still kind of jumbled up. So I feel like there should be a greater sense of desperation for the Chiefs this weekend. But there's going to be an incredible amount of motivation on the 49ers side. To, not that it avenges anything. You're not going to get to go claim the Super Bowl trophy if you beat them, but at least gives them a little something they can feel good about. For anybody who was on the team that day, it's something good they can feel uh, about what transpired if they could just get a little, get a little, just a little taste of revenge against the Chiefs. You know, Mike, I would agree with you when you talk about home field because you're right. You know, basically, Buffalo's got a game and a half lead over Kansas City right now. And, you know, if Kansas City loses here, boy, what a road they, you know, what a hill they have to climb. And people might look at uh, at the schedule for, uh, you know, for Buffalo and say, boy, that's a big advantage because probably their toughest game the rest of the way, Minnesota, that comes at home. And they also have Green Bay at home so that if that offense ever wakes up, you know, they have it, you know, in Orchard Park. But the one thing I think people are forgetting on the rush to sort of crown Buffalo, and look, we all think, I mean, at least I do. I mean, I think Buffalo is the best team in football, even though Philadelphia remains undefeated. But the one thing that people need to remember is that, The Buffalo Bills have five division games remaining. And all of a sudden, the Patriots are not the 47-7 Patriots from last January. They don't appear to be anyway. And the Jets are certainly not the Patsies that they have been in the last few years. So you, you now have two Jets, two Patriots, one Dolphins. 
you've got five division games left, and none of those are gimmies. So I think it's going to be an interesting stretch run for Buffalo because they're not going to have those games that you count on them winning 47 to 7. That's a funny little stat. The Bills winless in the division so far this year because they've had one game, and that's their one loss to Miami, a game they should have won. They thoroughly dominated, but all that matters statistically is the final score, and they came up on the wrong end of it. So the 49ers trying to come up on the right end of this one. Health is a key. They need Nick Bosa back. He missed last week's game with a groin injury. He's optimistic he's going to be able to play. Talanoa Hufanga, concussion. They need him back. He's the, the new age Troy Polamalu who makes all the difference in the back line of that defense. Jimmy Ward, all three guys training toward playing. That will be very helpful for the 49ers, especially against this diverse Kansas City offense, which doesn't have Tyree Kill, but which has plenty of other weapons that put you in a position where if you fail to cover one of them, that's the guy Patrick Mahomes is going to find. How tempting it must be for Kyle Shanahan to sidle up to Nick Bosa and say, what do you got? Can you go this week? And Nick Bosa, being the competitor he is, he may say, even though his deep inner self could say, man, I I might be really hurting myself if I do this uh, for the long term, but we really need this game. You know, that's the ultimate uh, difficult choice that you make all the time with injured players uh, or, 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 you know, hurt players, whatever you'd call them. And so to me, I look at this game and I say, if Nick Bosa plays, what percent is he? And if he's not going to be 94%, should he play knowing that you risk injuring him again and him being out for a longer period of time. And the other factor here, Peter, Nick Bosa has yet to get his long-term contract. That hasn't worked out for him yet. If he's gotten his long-term contract and his financial protection, he's more willing to roll the dice on a situation that could result in an aggravation and an extended absence. But for now, he's got to play at a high level to justify whatever it is he's going to try to get from the 49ers at the appropriate time. And it's coming on the heels of them taking on a significant financial burden for a stranger to the organization in Christian McCaffrey. He could be a little more hardened in his position. Sorry, guys, but I'm not going to risk myself here until I get mine. So I think that's one of those unspoken factors. A spoken factor for the Chiefs, and this is interesting, and Sim said this right away. We were on the air the other day when the news broke that Travis Kelsey had done what they call a simple restructuring. You take the balance of your base salary for this year, you reduce it to the prorated minimum, the rest of it becomes a signing bonus, it creates cap space. And it was about $4.5 million in cap space that was created. Sims said they're going to make a run at Odo Beckham Jr. Here's Travis Kelsey from the New Height Show talking about the potential impact of the money that the Chiefs freed up by restructuring Kelsey's deal. All right, we got some news out today. You had a little contract negotiate. Yes, I did. Can you put us in behind the scenes with that a little bit? What happened? I'm not sure yet. It's a start to a move, right? You think so? You're freeing up cap space to be able to do something. Yeah, my agent just hit me up and said that they want to free up some cap space. So I was like, I get the money now? All right. Why not? Seems like a no-brainer. And it frees up cap space for us to get better as a team. 
So you cannot verify or debunk the rumors out there surrounding OBJ? Odell Beckham Jr.? That's the OBJ I'm referring to. I want them to come true. I have not heard anything in the locker room or anything around the facility. All right, playing a little coy with it. I get it. Something's in the air for sure. And if it means OBJ... Well, we can neither confirm nor deny, but we will speculate and um, look forward to seeing OBJ in the Chiefs uniform. <laughs> the two brothers, Jason and Travis Kelsey. I love the content. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is play the piano music. The jump cuts with the video and the the dramatic, like jump in to try. It's kind of give me a little vertigo, I think. But uh, um, other. <laughs> Thank you. My mission now is to have that played every day because, Peter, it's like anything else. The more you hear it, you eventually like it. Costanza. You get to the point where you like it. <laughs> hey, Mike, you know, I was at the game on Sunday in Kansas City. And, you know, I wrote this, but... First of all, two observations as it relates to Odell Beckham Jr. One is that, uh, you know, everything that Kansas City did on offense, everything was a struggle. Did you, did you notice that? I mean, to me, there was nothing that came easy for Mahomes on this day. And I would just be a little bit careful in thinking that Adding a guy coming off an ACL is going to be able to come in and be a huge factor, let's say, in the last three weeks of the season and in January and hopefully February. So I I question, I question, I, I know that Odell Beckham Jr. is the bright, shiny object that all the contenders are interested in. Even the Rams still are interested in him. You heard Von Miller. He said to Jared Bell after the game of USA Today, uh, you know, basically he he wants Odell Beckham Jr. with the Bills. And that to me, I just think you got to be careful about this. I'm not saying that would be a dumb investment at all. All I'm saying is it's not like you're trading for a guy who's healthy. You're trading for a guy who's trying to be an impact player 10 months after having ACL surgery. Does that happen a lot? I mean, it's probably 50-50. You can find a lot of instances where it doesn't work out and you can find some instances where it does. But you're going to find a team out there that is willing to make the bet that by January he'll be in a position where he can contribute. And look at what he did for the Rams last year. The timeline was different for the ACL repair. He went 11 months between injuring it against the Bengals and then coming back and playing. But he ended up doing pretty well, especially in the (coughs) postseason for the Rams and was in position to be the Super Bowl MVP frankly, based upon his production early in the game and the way the game was unfolding and what he was doing. But for that ACL tear, he, he would have gotten a huge contract on the open market. And uh, somebody is going to be very happy, I think, to have him come January, but you have to be patient between now and then. All right, let's take a break. We'll rip through some of the matchups to come when Week 7 continues 
on Sunday. PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. How would you describe your relationship with Coach Tom? We had a good relationship, man. That's that's for sure the, uh, one of the best coaches I've been around. I can grow myself, you know what I mean? He, he's, he's, he's letting me grow. Rather than, like, placing a lot of stuff post up upon me, which, you know, is it a lot being a captain in your second year, especially for a running back, you know what I mean? He helps me handle it well. Yeah. He acknowledges that he's young. Um, he's not a guy that pretends to be older than what he is. He asks good questions. He wants to know how to become an effective leader. He asks me really transparent questions all the time. Hey, Coach, why you make that decision? And I'll explain to him why, and I'll say, why did you ask? I just want to know sometimes as a leader, man, uh, what are some of the things that lead you to decisions? How do you come to it? It helps me get behind it more. And, and that's why I think that he's an exciting developing leader. I think that's why his teammates elected him captain in year two of his career. That was Mike Tomlin and Najee Harris with Michael Smith. For more of the full feature on Najee Harris, check out Gets It coming later today on the NFL on NBC YouTube page. Subscribe if you have not. All right, Steelers at the Dolphins. Steelers 2-4 and four coming off of a big win over the Buccaneers. The biggest upset so far of the season based upon the closing line. Steelers were 9.5-point underdogs, and they pulled it off. They're at the Miami Dolphins, who are 3-3, three and three, and they get two back. Chris and I were talking about this yesterday, Peter. All eyes are going to be on Tua. What's going to happen when he takes a hit? Is he going to be able to avoid the kind of ragdoll treatment that he got against the Bengals three weeks and one day ago? A lot of issues, a lot of concern, a lot of focus on Tua now that he's officially back on the field. (coughs) Mike, you know, the one thing about Tua coming back, as much as he was sort of in the first you know, a couple of years of his career kind of dragged through the mud and, you know, spawned the two and on believers and all that other stuff. The one thing you notice is that, you know, in Miami's first three games of this year, they're averaging, I think, 28 points a game. And then in the last three weeks, you know, where Tua first leaves the game in Cincinnati and then misses the next two games, They scored in the teens three consecutive weeks. So it's very clear that particularly their deep passing game was severely affected without Tua in it. And that is what I look for on Sunday night. I think that Mike McDaniel is going to let loose in this game. And I'll be surprised if this isn't a very productive game for both... um, you know, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And both Waddle and Hill are among the top five in receiving yardage leaders in the, leaders in the NFL, even with multiple games without Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I'm going to be watching very carefully how closely he's monitoring the rush, and is he rushing his decision-making and throwing the ball sooner than he otherwise would because he's trying to avoid that next big hit? Because there's only so many of those moments that you can absorb as an NFL player before yeah. you get to the point where no doctor is ever going to clear you to play again. And uh, hopefully it doesn't get to that for Tua. Hopefully he can protect himself and avoid those kinds of hits. The Jets, 4-2 and two 
at the Broncos, two and four. Russell Wilson, limited in practice, both Wednesday and Thursday, had a walkthrough on Wednesday coming off of the Monday night loss to the Chargers. Split reps yesterday with Brett Rippon. Hamstring requires time and rest. Wilson said he's got Wolverine blood and he heals quickly. Broncos are somehow one-point favorites over the 4-2 and two Jets. I still don't get that. The Jets' defense sacked Aaron Rodgers four times last week, and he's healthy. If Russell Wilson plays, it could be a long day again for the Denver offense, Peter. What did you say the line on this game was? Broncos favored by one. I mean... Who makes these lines? Elmer Fudd? <laughs> I mean, has, has Elmer Fudd of the whoever sports book in wherever it's done uh, been watching the Denver Broncos? Now, Russell Wilson has got a bad hamstring and they favor him over a team that just wiped the Green Bay Packers just I, that's the dumbest line I've ever heard in my life. It is. That is a ridiculous line, you know. But be that as it may, the one thing about and, this but, game, Peter. Any Peter, anytime I see right. that, I think it's a trap. I think they know something that we don't know, and I think it's a trap. What do they know that that Russell Wilson has been purposely throwing balls into the ground? <laughs> in, pre, in the previous six games. I mean, come on. That's a dumb, dumb, dumb line. <clears throat> and look, but Jim Trotter said this the other day on Twitter, and I couldn't have agreed with him more, that I can't believe anybody actually gambles on football because nothing ever happens the way it's supposed to happen. How would you like your life to be in the hands of a football game. You know, your financial well-being. You've got to be out of your mind to gamble on football. Anyway, I think the thing about this That game, comment brought to you by BetMGM. <laughs> the thing that really interests me about this game is Brees Hall. Because he looks like... Look, when is the last time a team has ever had the Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, Sauce Gardner's the leader in the clubhouse on the defensive side. Breeze Hall has a couple more games like he's had recently. Uh, you know, he's going to be a 1,200-yard back. So I just think I don't know how you stop that running game, even though Denver has got a good defense, a top five to eight NFL defense. But, man, I'll tell you what, the Jets really impressed me the last last couple of weeks. Hey, Peter, I agree with you on your assessment of Gardner and Hall, but the Seahawks have Tariq Woolen and Ken Walker III, and so we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But they're in that same boat where they got a great rookie corner and a great rookie running back, <laughs> and it's all Ken Walker now that Rashad Penny's out. Uh, the other New York team, and, and I, I love this stat, the two New York teams who are being much embraced in Ballyhooed right now, having unexpectedly great seasons, are on the road against two and four teams this week, and they're both underdogs, are the New York teams. The Giants, five and one at the two and four Jaguars. The Jaguars, Peter, you thought you saw a stupid line before. The Jaguars are favored by three over your New York Giants. 
I mean, it's another trap. Yeah, I, I mean, the Jaguars are a bizarre team. And they could go out and score 30 this week. But I think the one thing both of these teams have, Mike, Jets and Giants, they have formidable people on the defensive front who are going to be hard to deal with. And Dexter Lawrence, Aaron Rodgers said it a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he couldn't stop talking about Dexter Lawrence. He has been an unstoppable force early on. Kayvon Thibodeau last week, you know, with a huge play on Lamar Jackson late. Those are the reasons why, in my opinion, more so than their offense, a great defense keeps you in every game. And so I guess, you know, when I look at that line and you've got a good quarterback who could explode any game, I, I look, I think the Giants are going to win this game, but it wouldn't shock me if Jacksonville came out and had a great offensive day. Every game this year played by the New York Giants has finished with a one-possession difference, and I give a ton of credit to new coach Brian Dayball. He lets his guys believe they overcome adversity. He told me this a couple of weeks ago, no built-in excuses. They never feel sorry for themselves. Down 17-3 to the Packers in London. They just keep going, and the next thing you know, they win the game. Down late to the Ravens. They just keep going. They win the game. They've been very impressive, and they're at 5-1, and one, and we'll see. We'll see if they can get to 6 Mike, can I tell you one final thing on this? One, sure one final thing about Dable. You know, early on in my career, for four years, I covered the Giants. And Bill Parcells, in those days, was exactly what Brian Dable is today. And, you know, Bill Parcells always used to say when you would bring up Oh, this guy's hurt, that guy's hurt, that guy, you know, whatever. He goes, he said this to me a hundred times. He said, Peter, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Just go out and play the game. And, 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 you know, if you win, you deserve to win. And if you lose, don't tell me who wasn't playing. And so Dable is precisely like that. I thought it was really funny the other day, Mike. The ultimate evergreen tweet of the 2022 NFL season. Coach Brian Dable said that neither Kenny Galladay nor Kadarius Toney will practice today. And I just said, you know, is that that could be any day of this season. And yet he doesn't make a big deal of it. We'll put out some no names. We'll have somebody with a receiver number on who will go out for passes for Daniel Jones this week. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. And they have figured it out. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll try to figure out some of the things Tom Brady had to say yesterday during his midweek press conference. We'll do that when this Friday edition of PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines if we were setting odds right now tom brady 
Aaron Rodgers. Chance of one of those guys tapping out and walking away during the season. Because of this year and some of the off-the-field stuff and that it's hitting home and personal stuff with Brady, Like I know what you're getting at, but I, I think because of that issue there... This is like the one year that I feel maybe it might be Brady just because I feel like, again, I don't know this, but it seems like, you know, his wife is threatening divorce or they're going down that road there. I think usually Rodgers is more the guy to be renegade to be like, I'm out of here. Screw this. I've had enough. I'm out of here. But this is a weird year to where we're seeing Brady do weird crap and having, you know, personal issues that makes me think it might be him on this year. That was from Tuesday, Peter. Chris and I were talking about the struggles of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, both of their teams at 3-3. Three and three. Brady did not look good against the Steelers on Sunday. Rodgers, I mean, it was the first time during the Brett Favre-Aaron Rodgers era where the Packers just got the crap kicked out of them at home by an average at best team, although maybe the Jets are better than average, I don't know. But 27-10 and Sauce Gardner wearing a cheese head. I mean, it was just a weird day for both quarterbacks. So, weird day. as Sims... As Sims and I are talking, I just throw out there, let's set the odds. Is there a chance, like, what's the odds that, that one of these guys just says, I'm done before the season ends? That's how it came up. And I thought we couched it clearly. But the next thing I know, there's articles out there that Chris Sims says Tom Brady's going to retire during the season. <clears throat> like, what the hell is wrong with people? I understand that folks are desperate for maximum content and Brady moves the needle, but there's enough stuff out there that's accurate about Brady that will move the needle without having to to make something out of nothing. And and I know that we brought up the subject, but it wasn't is he going to do it? It was just kind of like, hey, if if we were setting odds on both of these guys doing it, what would they be and who would be the favorite? And I agree with Chris between Rodgers and Brady, if someone was going to do that, it was going to be Brady. So I say that because Yesterday at Tom Brady's midweek press conference, he got a question that was completely off base from what Sims and I were discussing, but it set the table for Tom Brady to renew his vows with the National Football League. Have a listen. Chris Sims, there's been a couple of national talking heads speculating that, you know, Tom is not even going to finish out this season. And I've tried to, like, say that's got to be crazy. I mean, we're here all the time. Can you clarify? Well, that's really why I'm here. I'm here to announce, finally, you guys push me to the brink. No retirement in my future. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So, well, I assume there will be, will be retirement at some point. I don't think he's going to die with his cleats on. He will retire at some point, but he's saying he's not going to retire this year. And, 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 and that's fine. And, and here's the other thing, too, Peter. We know from experience. Tom Brady has told us 90% of the things he says at a press conference is a lie. He doesn't want to tell the truth. He doesn't want to deal with the blowback of telling the truth. More on that coming up in a minute. But you think he's going to stand up there and say, I'm really thinking about, you know what, if this season goes sideways and all this stuff I got going on in my life, if we get down to the last four or five games of the season and it just looks like we're not going to be a serious contender for a Super Bowl, you know what, maybe I will just tap out and let Blaine Gabbert begin the process of getting ready for next year. He's not going to tell us that. Even if he is thinking about it with just 1% of his brain, he's not going to tell us. Yeah, when I saw that quote from Chris, I said, 
Chris is going to be unhappy that he said this, <laughs> even though, even though it was couched the way it should. Well, if you ask me that question, it, it you know, it's like, yeah. But the one thing that this is the way I view Brady, okay, that once he said, whenever he said it, April, March, I forget, whenever he said it. Once he said, I'm coming back, uh, I just think there's a, I, I shouldn't say zero, but I think there's an exceedingly low chance that he would do anything but finish out the season because what he has done is he has told his team, I'm here, I'm not going to abandon ship, no pun intended, with the Bucks. I am not going to do anything to disrespect the game or my place in it. And even if they go down the toilet, I just could never see Brady doing that. People like Jason Light, people like, you know, the Glazers and 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 Todd Bowles. You know, basically, this is Todd Bowles' future, you know. And I just think that Brady would, he just would never do that no matter what was going on in his personal life. But what he is doing, Peter, and we saw this play out last week, he's not as committed as he's been in the past. He's not as walled off from the rest of the world and focused only on football. He left the team last Friday night to go to the owner's wedding. Not his current owner, the owner of the team he used to play for. And then he didn't fly back on his private jet that night. Not that he owns a private jet, but for all I know, he does. He's got enough money to own one if he wants to. But he didn't fly back and show up for meetings and walk through practice Saturday morning. He just said, I'll see you in Pittsburgh. That's not what Tom Brady would have done in past years. And that leads us to the next point because on his podcast on Monday, he was interviewing Kevin Durant, and they were talking about the commitment that you have to make during football season, basketball season, any professional sports season. It's a long period of time, and it turns your life upside down. You have to turn your life over to it. He said, I almost look at a football season like you're going away on deployment in the military, and it's like, man, here I go again. There's only one way to do it. You have to be all in. And it's kind of strange that he said it on Monday because he just wasn't all in over the weekend, Peter. But before we play his comments from yesterday about it, I understood what he was saying. I know he got dragged for it, but I understood what he was saying because if you're doing it the right way, it is like you're completely removed from your life. And no, it's not the same as being in the military. You're not protecting the country. You're not getting paid peanuts in comparison to what a pro athlete makes, but you have to be willing to surrender your life to the cause of winning as many football games as possible and trying to win a Super Bowl. It didn't strike me as something at the time that he said it that he's going to have to worry about getting blowback because I understood what he meant, but others didn't. Look, um, you know, there was a lot written and said about what happened last weekend, and I think people need to understand two things. Number one, uh, it's fair game to say that he should have been there Saturday morning. Absolutely, unequivocally fair game to say that. However, about Friday... You know, I, I, I read so much about, uh, you know, taking Friday off and going to this wedding. I mean, the way NFL teams operate, 
most of them are out of their buildings by 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it's an early day everywhere on Friday. And people get to do family things on Friday night, coaches, players, all that stuff. So Tom Brady went to practice on Friday. He went to meetings on Friday. And then when he left, instead of just going home, uh, he got in a plane and went to New York for Kraft's wedding. I don't find that odd, weird, uh, distracting at all. However, he does leave himself open for criticism when he doesn't go back to the team on Saturday without any question. And, and I guess I just look at it this way, Mike. Brady, I've always thought, is a really, really interesting, different case than almost anybody else in football because he's one of these guys who his entire career has demonstrated an insane commitment to the game. And I think now he's 45 years old and he looks at life right now. And life sometimes intercedes as it did in training camp with the 10 days off, as it did here with wanting to pay homage to a guy who was his boss basically for 21 years. So I, I, can't, I can't really kill him for this at all, even missing Saturday. But if I were him, and again, I don't know whether, what other extenuating circumstances there were. But if I were him, I probably would have gone back to Tampa, uh, got there at 1.30 in the morning and got up and done my deal with the team on Saturday. And again, he explained on Monday that he views football season like being deployed in the military. And I understand why people reacted to that. Even though I understand what he said I or what, what he was trying to say, he didn't say it clearly enough, and it caused some blowback because people who have been on military deployment or family members on military deployment where you physically aren't there and you're not back for months and you're worried about their health and well-being the entire time and you're not making much money at all for it, it is a far different experience. So I understood why people were upset. I just didn't make the connection in my brain because, like, I get what he's saying. For him, you do have to view it like two different lives and you're checking out of your normal life for six months if you're doing yeah. it the way that he does it, which is obsessed and the way he used to do it before this year. So anyway, here he is yesterday, right out of the gates at his press conference. No questions asked. He wanted to address his comments and apologize for them. Have a listen. Before we start, can I say one thing? Yes, absolutely. Uh, earlier this week, I made a statement about playing football and the military and uh, it was a very poor choice of words, and I just want to express that to um, any sentiments out there that uh, people may have taken it in a certain way. So I apologize. And to be honest, I don't really want to expand on it too much because I don't feel I like. To give you that yeah, thank you. Anymore, yeah. I appreciate it. I just I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for everyone who served, and uh, you know, in the end, we play a game, and the military is defending our country is two very different things, and I shouldn't have made the comparison. Yeah, he doesn't want to expand on it because he's probably perplexed by the fact that it became a thing because it wasn't anything remotely close to what he meant and he didn't communicate it well. And guess what, Tom? You're going to be making $37.5 million to be able to speak extemporaneously without stepping in crap. Good luck. Uh, seriously. Seriously. That, that's his next job at Fox. He's going to have to be able to speak without thinking ahead of time. He's going to have to think as he chooses his words. 
And it's the kind of thing where when you say something like that and you don't even realize it's going to cause a mess, it really does force someone to take a step back and say, wait a minute, how did I miss that? How did I not realize that that was a third rail that I should have stayed away from? So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think he was I think he was rattled by that. I think he was rattled by it. The fact though the way he communicated at the at the get go, and then when he sees it, no, no, thanks, I'm not talking about it. I should nope, nope, thank you, but I'm not expanding on it. I really do think it has him wondering. Man, how did I get myself into that mess, and how am I going to avoid that in the future when I am speaking off the cuff in 30-second chunks when I'm the number one analyst at Fox at some point in the future? Mike, you know, when I heard that the other day, my eyebrows were raised, and I said, boy, he's going to get some stuff for this. But in reality, it doesn't, it's, in my opinion... I understand why people would say, oh, that's totally ridiculous. You know, somebody who's, who goes on an eight-month deployment is away. He's in a foreign land. He's, his life is in danger, all that stuff. And I get it. But there are a lot of jobs that require almost, uh, you know, 70 to 80 hours a week of dedication of always thinking about it, of always doing it. And of course, it's not like the military where you go away and your life is in danger. And of course, you're just playing a game. But the point is that starting on, let's say, July 23rd, for the next six to seven months, your life is not your own. And, you know, that obviously... If he had it to do over again, he would not make that comparison. But there are some similarities between the two things. There just are. It's not disrespectful to the military to to say that there are. But obviously, it's not a good comparison to make publicly. When it speaks to how maniacal he had been in the past, he said in the Tom versus Time documentary, if you want to beat me, you have to be willing to surrender your life because I am. And and that's the point. And maybe that's why I processed it as something that wasn't going to be a big deal because, yeah, that's how he views football season. He's completely removing himself from his normal life for six months, although it still is nothing like being sent on a military deployment. Let's take a break. When we return, former Raiders coach John Gruden has the NFL on the legal ropes. Will he be able to punch the shield through? We'll discuss that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. So last week, the NFL officially appealed the decision from May that denied the league's effort to force the John Gruden lawsuit into arbitration, where everything is better for the NFL. It's secret and it's rigged. It is. The NFL always wants any claims against it to be in the NFL's arbitration system because it's far more likely to win and the rest of us are far more likely to not find out anything about it. So that was step one. Step two, the judge presiding over the case yesterday, this report came courtesy of Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic, the judge refused to stay the litigation while the appeal of the decision to deny the effort to force arbitration goes forward. So now the NFL is in a pickle. 
because the litigation goes forward. That means John Gruden can start asking for documents, start asking for information, can start asking for dates for depositions of people like, oh, I don't know, the commissioner or I don't know, commander's owner Daniel Snyder, whose team owned the server that received the emails that ended up coming in and being harvested and giving to the league and then leaked to the media. And that's Gruden's whole argument. You leak these to the media to bring me down. We may start the process, Peter, of finding out who ordered the code red against John Gruden, if anyone in fact did, sooner rather than later, unless the NFL can pull a legal rabbit out of its hat or some other orifice. They're going to have to start cooperating with this litigation, which means we're going to start finding out some facts that are going to be potentially very interesting. I think it'd be great to find out those facts. I think that the end game of this story is, did the NFL release uh, these documents in order to impugn the character and ultimately get John Gruden fired? I still say what I've said all along, Mike. It makes zero sense to me that the NFL would leak that about a coach of a team in a market that they desperately needed to do well. Uh, now, who knows? I, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know what happened. None of us know what happened. I have my suspicions about how it came out, but I don't know anything. And so to me, I think the most interesting part of this, at least to me, is that the NFL has always wanted things like this to stay out of a public court. And instead, they want all of them to be in private where no dirty laundry ever gets out. And that's why you see people like John Gruden. And that's why you see, you know, the case in Miami now, why these so many lawyers, you know, for, you know, for the, for the complainants, so many lawyers want this in a public court because they want the dirty laundry to be aired. And you're also more likely to get a favorable result through the public court system. Let me say this, and then we have to break. I've reported this, and I know this to be true. It's a very small universe of people who had access to those emails. Dan Snyder is one of those individuals, necessarily. It was his server that he owns that had those emails on it. There are people who believe that Snyder leaked the emails. And to thread the popcorn through last week's reporting from ESPN, what better way to get people worried about the dirt that Snyder may have on someone and what he would be willing to do with it than to use Gruden as a warning shot at a time when the NFL is thinking about possibly trying to take out Daniel Snyder. Let's go ahead and take a break. Show me something for week seven when this Friday edition of PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. Yeah, I did everything. I mean, I wasn't limited by any means. It wasn't a pitch count. Uh, I think I threw about 140 balls or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's a made-up number. Yeah. But there was no pitch count, and I was just, yeah, we are full go. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott cleared to return Sunday against the Detroit Lions as the Cowboys try to Get another victory after losing Sunday night to the Eagles. Peter, it's show me something time for week seven. 
three-round draft. First two rounds this segment, you're up. Show me something, Matt Ryan. You know, Ryan has had a resurgent period for the Indianapolis Colts. But the Colts play, and it seems like they play the Tennessee Titans about 14 times a year, but they meet again. And the last four times they have met, the Tennessee Titans have beaten Indianapolis. They're supposed to be 1-1A in this division. They're supposed to be a great rivalry. It's only a great rivalry if both teams actually win some games. And you go back to Phillip Rivers in 2020, Carson Wentz twice last year, and Ryan once this year. This is a team that needs to get off the Tennessee schneid. Show me something, Matt Ryan. Show me that you can win a game that you were brought to Indianapolis to win. Show me something, Aaron Rodgers. Now is the time. After he complained following the loss to the Jets that they need to simplify the offense, and the next day Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers, said, I don't know what that means. It's bringing Rodgers into focus. Show me you can go on the road the first of three consecutive road games for the Packers and win easily a game you should win easily as you prepare to go to Buffalo Sunday Night Football Week 8. The Packers, if they're ever going to establish themselves as the kind of team they've been the past two years, three years, they need to do it starting now. They've got three losses. Peter, in 2019, they were 13-3. and 2020, 13-3. 21-13-4. They may match their worst loss total for the past three years on Sunday if they somehow blow it to the Commanders. Show me something, Jimmy Garoppolo. So the nightmare game of Jimmy Garoppolo's career comes front and center. You know, three years after the Super Bowl loss to Kansas City, the overthrow to Emmanuel Sanders, uh, the nightmare of a blown fourth quarter double-digit lead. Kansas City comes waltzing into Levi's Stadium on Sunday. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who probably will have, pick a number, 15, 18 snaps with their new toy, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Mike, in the wake of this trade, I don't know, last night and early this morning, you know, the 49ers are all in for the Super Bowl. And this is their real Super Bowl punch, you know, to come in to try to think this is the last piece of the puzzle. The San Francisco 49ers are three and three. <clears throat> they need to win a game that is going to be a tough game to win. Show me something, Jimmy G. Show me something, Joe Lombardi. Chargers offensive coordinator has at his disposal one of the great quarterbacks in all of football in Justin Herbert. On Monday night, Herbert threw 57 passes, for 238 yards, an average per attempt of 4.17 yards, which is pathetic, and it's not on Herbert. To quote Joe's grandpa, Vince, what the hell's going on out here? Now's the time to show what you can do against a defense that is getting better all the time in the Seattle Seahawks. The Chargers trying to make a move. Joe Lombardi had better make a move with Justin Herbert. Show me something, Joe Lombardi. And... Now we take a break. 
We'll do round three when this Friday edition of PFT Live concludes right after this. There are the first two rounds of the Week 7 Show Me Something draft. No Daniel Jones sighting yet, but there's still one round to go. Peter, you're up. Show me something, Joe Burrow. So, you know, Joe Mixon might have written a check that Joe Burrow is going to have to cash. Because yesterday on Sirius XM NFL Radio, Joe Mixon, and I quote, said this. Nobody has got an offense like us. We can put up points on anybody. Okay. So, the 27th best defense in the NFL comes to Cincinnati on Sunday, the Atlanta Falcons. They have eight sacks in six games. It's time, if this is the great, transcendent, wonderful offense, it's time to score in the 30s and to wipe out the Atlanta Falcons. So, they're playing a very physical, defensive uh, team. Dean Pease has really put a price tag on hitting people, letting them know that they've been hit. And so to me, the Bengals have to start showing that they can be not an okay offense. They're 15th in the NFL in scoring right now, but a great offense. This is the week it has to start when the Bengals start to take over the AFC North. Show me something, Joe Burrow. Show me something, Deontay Foreman, the new starting running back for the Carolina Panthers. Not that it's going to make a difference for the Panthers because they don't want him to show them something. They don't want him to come out and be great. But he was great last year in Tennessee after Derrick Henry was injured and Foreman was thinking about retiring and ultimately got the call and was awesome last year down the stretch in the regular season for the Titans. He can lay the foundation for himself to go somewhere else next year and get himself a nice little contract and continue a career that he was ready to give up on. So this is your chance, Deontay Foreman. Show me something. All right. I think we've covered everything we possibly can, Peter, going on in the National Football League. Week 7 upon us. Christian McCaffrey changing uniforms. We'll have it all covered at PFT. And check out Peter's column Monday morning, Football Morning in America. Everybody have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.